At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 655th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Greg Peterson coming to you from the Urban Farm in the heart of Phoenix, Arizona, and I am here with Bill McDormand. Welcome, Bill. Hello, hello. Our many, many times we get together to talk about plants and seeds, and tonight we are talking about herbs, culinary herbs and tea herbs, and Bill said in her blog post. She said, unbeknownst to me until recently, I learned there is actually a name for what Bill does. And show them what you do, Bill. You mix your own teas, right? And it's actually not tea. It's called tisan. Tisane is spelled T-I-S-A-N-E, T-E-A hyphen zon. I guess that's how it's pronounced. And tisans are infusions of leaves and various other garden delights, but technically they're not considered tea because tea is a specific variety of plant, Camilla sinensis. Teas are created from leaves of white, green, black, and oolong tea shrubs. So tell us about that, Bill. Well, yeah, actually, the, that blog was a wake-up wake up call. You know, mm-hmm. in in our country, we drifted and we call a lot of things tea. I mean, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, you can buy, there's a whole row in the grocery store of herbal teas. Mm-hmm. And so these, none of those are, you know, regular tea, but I like the idea. It, it makes it sound exotic. Right. And all I really do is go out into the yard every night and pick some plants I can make an herbal tea before I go to bed. And so it's wow. all non-caffeine. And so tonight I've got sage, chia flowers, rosemary, lemongrass, fresh spearmint. And then I put in a handful of dried peppermint that I grew last summer because wow. dried herbs dried herbs infuse faster. You know, mm-hmm. you need more fresh. So that's kind of the base. And then I put a little bit of dried and sifted and cut ginger just to and so that's my you know that's my go-to and the reason i do those is that i can get them real quick at night i don't want to spend a lot of time on it right i'm I'm ready to go in and have my tea so you know that's Mm -hmm. kind of my path that i walk around and do and the other thing that we can talk about are medicinal herbs because in a way that infusion if you will is really medicinal Mm-hmm. And I had a teacher a long, long time ago. Neva Jensen was her name. And she was a, when I met her, she was a white haired grandma. She lived in Sandy, Utah. And she had been teaching about herbs for about 40 years. And this wow. was about, this was about 40 years ago when I met her. <laughs> wow. And as a little girl, she had gotten very sick in Utah, mm-hmm. frontier days, and almost passed away. He almost died as a little girl. And I, and I don't remember the sickness or whatever, but the gist of the story was that a Native American medicine 
person heard about her and came and made some herbal infusion, some teas. Wow. And she credited that with saving her life and changing her life. Because after that, she, as a little girl, became this incredibly curious, like what plants and what do they do and, and, and what do they do to you? And so I had heard of it. She's kind of a legend in the Mountain West. And, and I got to spend time with her. And one of, I, maybe the most profound thing she taught me she talked about the art of simpling. I think that that term actually comes from Michael Tierra, but she talked about it also. And simpling, simpling, simpling. Mm -hmm. So, and what that is is that you go out and gather your herbs fresh to use, or if you're going to dry them and store them, you do it every year. You get on a cycle. Mm -hmm. And so it's partially the wilds around you. It could be your garden or whatever, but you get into a routine so that you're always going out and gathering all sorts of different kinds of plants and bringing those into your life. And, you know, she sort of winked at me at the end because I'm like encyclopedia. I'm, I want to write down the names of every herb and how to grow it and what's going on or whatever. And she just sort of yeah, then finally turned around to me and said, Bill, the most important part as far as the health and the medicinal part is the act of going to do it. That's what will keep you healthy. That's what simpling is. And in our modern lives where we're all caught up in all this stuff every day, to go out every evening and just gather what's there and make yeah. your tea. And then over the years, improve that by planting more and more plants closer to your door and then learning the wild plants around you so that as you take walks you learn to recognize the many medicinal plants and so you can almost every medicinal plant you can infuse and drink in an evening tea in small amounts and it's not going to be overly medicinal it'll just right. be life-giving now when you're talking medicinal you're not talking marijuana you're talking what no. kind of plants you know that whole thing yeah it was illegal to talk about that until recently in my life right. you know i have friends right. that went to jail talking about that stuff mm. you know so what are you, what, when you're saying medicinal, what are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about plants that have been known, you know, for, we don't know how far that goes back that have, can have a profound effect on your health and keeping you healthy. Mm. And so, you know, if you, so let's think about it in a different way. Let's go back a hundred years, maybe 150 years in Arizona and think about the medicine that was being used here. Mm. Mm -hmm. It almost all came from plants and almost all those plants were from the Southwest. That's, you know, the, the Tohono Autumn, the Hopi, the Navajo, they all had their medicine. They still have their medicine. It's powerful medicine. And so we went from, say, in less than 150 years from all of our medicine coming from local plants to None of it? Well, you know, when I used to teach courses in this, I would say, you know, raise your hand if you've ever used a plant for medicine. And I would, you know, over the years, the number would go up. But almost all of the people that raised their hand had the same answer. Aloe vera. Oh, yes. You know, so it's one plant, you know, so and that doesn't grow where I live here in Arizona, down in Tucson, it does. But so we've come a long ways, you know, sort of alienating ourselves from the natural riches that are here. And, and, and I think it's important to understand that maybe 75%, this was a statistic I got 20 years ago or so, but up to 80% of all of the medicines that we use today, the chemical formulas, uh -huh. the original original idea for those came from plants, if not the medicine from plants originally. And the most yeah. famous is aspirin, of course, right? Which came from willow bark. Oh, didn't know that. Right. So the salicin 
in it, it, what makes aspen work is a substance called salicylic acid. Oh, of well, course. That I know. Well, the genus name for willow is salix. And that's because it has an alkaloid in it, salicin. And when you take that into your body, it becomes salicylic acid. So it's actually the first aspirin. So wow. we, we do it chemically now, we, you know, and we make things up. And that's what the pharmaceutical industry does. But the idea that you could have something that would you know, relieve pain and inflammation came from literally willow. So Plants. Hello. And, yeah, there's plants all around us. And so getting back into that world's kind of fun. And I think it can make you healthy. If for no other reason, it reintroduces you into going out into your yard and taking walks around your property and getting you on some sort of schedule to do that. And that that can be health giving in and of itself. So here's to uh, the art of simpling. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> all right. So let, this is a seed chat. So right. let's let's talk about propagation of different herbs because if I remember correctly, if I'm, if I'm articulating this correctly, there's three ways to propagate herbs through seeds, through cuttings or roots, or in the case of garlic and onions through bulbs. Did I get that right? Right. And, but not all three of those can be used with every plant. Exactly. There are different herbs that use different methods. So let's talk about seed herbs. Well, let's first of all, let me get over a, a huge misconception about that. Please. And, and that is there are there is no such thing. I'll just say this categorically and it never say never in botany. Right. But I'll say there is no such thing as a peppermint seed. Oh, really? Or spearmint seed. Probably. Let me tell you why. Those are horticultural hybrids that were created by crossing different mints to find just the right formula. And both peppermint, what we know as peppermint, the peppermint, everybody knows it when they smell it, and mm -hmm. spearmint, both of those were created by Wrigley, for Wrigley, for really? gum. Yeah, that's where those came from. They're wow. horticultural hybrids. And nobody, like we teach in our seed schools, nobody has taken those hybrids and save and grown them out and save the seeds and selected for the same peppermint over eight to 10 generations and stabilize those lines to have good seeds. Seed that you could depend would be exactly like what you were starting with. So uh -huh. all the peppermint and all the spearmint you see, almost all of it in nurseries, if you smell it and it's pretty true, it probably came from cuttings. That's one thing. So stop looking for peppermint seeds if that's what you're looking for. Right. Now, there are thousands of different mints I heard a story when I was years ago that three students at the University of Oregon did an experiment mm -hmm. and started crossing mints. They loved to cross. It's a very promiscuous family uh -huh. and came up with 3000 varieties of new mint. And that's where a lot of, you know, and you can still. Is find that them. all? Yeah. Well, orange mint, pineapple mint, basil mint, chocolate mint. If wow. you start looking around, you can find all of these different kinds of mints. But the same thing applies probably is that. They just don't reproduce themselves very well from seeds. You're going to get all sorts of Mr. Toad's wild ride coming out mm -hmm. of using mm -hmm. the seeds. So, so just be aware of that. And there are other herbs that you never see seeds for, like comfrey. Never seen true comfrey seed that worked. There are a whole range of plants like, and I put rosemary and lavender in that category, mm -hmm. where even if you get good seeds, 
only 10% of them ever germinate. That's wow. the that's the normal germination rate. So if you you buy a packet of lavender seeds and you plant it and only a few of them come up, well, it's normal. And you just have to get used to that. And in fact, on some packets, they'll tell you that normal germination, 10%. Good companies will tell you that. So, and so is lavender propagated from root cuttings? Well, they do a lot of just cuttings, I think. And put they'll take little cuttings off and then they'll put them in damp, you know, vermiculite, little rootone or whatever, the hormone that helps do the roots. I've never done large-scale lavender, but there are farms that do it. And they're oh, all yeah. identical. See, that's what happens. You start propagating and you get identical. And there are lots of different varieties of uh, lavender. And there's probably some that reproduce better from seeds than others. But I, mm-hmm. I'm not an expert on it. But the ones that I found, yeah, it was really disappointing. Plant 100 seeds, at most get 10 plants. Wow. So we're actually talking then root propagation, either, and this is the genetic duplicate right. propagation. So it's right. either, you're either getting a, a root cutting right, or you're getting a cutting and then you're propagating it so that it creates its own roots. Right. right. And so for lavender and rosemary and sage, probably those sorts of things, although sage Mint. does grow well from seed, does it's it? pretty easy to grow mm-hmm. from seed. And there's a whole range of herbs that we use in our garden that, that do that dill, you know, cilantro, we call an herb usually. Um, now these are ones for seeds. These are for, for seeds and you can buy seeds and they're good seeds and you can save All your right, own seeds. Yeah. Let me stop you though. Let's talk about the herbs that we would root propagate or that we would do cuttings of. Okay. That's well, your mints and... Oregano's mm-hmm. probably. Mm-hmm. Or a good way to do those. Thyme. You know, the same thing happens. They're all in the mint family, both oregano and yep. thyme. So that's that same thing. So you can get lemon thyme, lemon creeping thyme, lemon variegated creeping thyme. All of these are horticultural hybrids. So to get that plant, you need to take a cutting. And they don't usually take, for those sorts of plants, you don't usually get a piece of the root, although you can. Sometimes they creep and they form new, new little roots. Mm-hmm. But lots of times, just a piece of the stem, you know, will start a new plant. Anytime there's a the node or the, right. you know, the node, then that'll root out. Yeah I, that, have, yeah. I have an oregano plant that has taken over my front garden bed to the south of the driveway. It started in 2004-ish as a four-inch potted plant. It was just small yeah. like this. Right. And it was growing in the front bed and it pretty much filled the front bed. Wow. Monster. And yeah, it became a monster. And it was, and for the front bed, that was big. It was like three feet wide and six feet long. Mm-hmm. And it needed to come out of that bed. So I put it in, in a garden bed in my front yard that is more wild. So I picked it up and moved it. I dug it up and moved it. And I dug up, you know, a couple of bunches up at about, you know, a foot right. in diameter. And I right. moved it. And now it is easily 10 feet by 10 feet. Oh, my gosh. Starting out in 2000 and. Four. So that was what, 15, 16 years ago? We're coming down to make pizza. All right. Yeah, <laughs> Got to do something to give it away, right? Right. Yeah. And it just, you know, it keeps spreading. It keeps wow. creeping and spreading. Wow. All right, cool. So now let's go, let's transition into the seeds. What herbs do we plant from seeds? Well, you know, you can get, there is a company in Canada called Richter's and Sons. And maybe somebody can put the I'll look for it right now. The link. Yeah. R-I-E-I-C-H-T-E-R-S. Richter's R-I-E-E-I, I I think. European family. 
their work with herbs goes back hundreds of years. Wow. In the Americas for a long, long time. And in there, you can find either seeds or, and for the ones that you can't find seeds for, plant cuttings mm -hmm. for hundreds. I think the last time I looked at it, there's like 400 different herbs. Oh, is that there. all? Yeah. And that just to start because, you know, herbs are important plants that had some use either culinarily or medicinally mm -hmm. in a local area. And so you take in areas diverse as Europe and then you come into North America and then, you know, the, get into the Orient and the Chinese herbs. And so there's oh a lot, gosh, right? a lot, a lot of herbs out there. So, you know, that's where you could go and get the list that you're talking about. I mean, so for the Great American Seed Up, what we sell, for, you know, seeds to five or six. Right. The most popular because that's what we're trying to do is get, you know, bulk amounts of most popular things so that people get awakened this whole idea and then they can start searching for all the other stuff. Right. So cilantro, basil, cilantro, yeah. Dill. Yeah. Parsley. Yes. Those are the four. Let's see, what else do we sell? That might be it. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Nina says, What was the plant that's growing in my front yard? That is oregano. Thank you, Marge. Marge said that too. That is so, oregano. So a little bit of a uh, tip there. If you're going to start growing oregano, look around. First of all, you know, always try to find your seeds or your plants right around you in your neighborhood because mm -hmm. you know they're mm -hmm. adapted. They're probably going to work better. But taste them and smell oregano because, because of the promiscuity in the family, they cross and change. And so you can get different. They're so, supposedly they all look the same. They're pretty close. But they can be significantly different. When people found, you know, a really great oregano, that was like having a great sourdough starter, you know, and it, they uh, get passed around then. So right. with oregano, especially, I've seen wide variation. There's a or, or, oregano vulgarum. It's a vulgar, it's almost a wild oregano from North America that grows. And you'll see it being sold, the seeds and catalogs and stuff. And it's it's not even close. You know, an Italian or a Greek would smell that and go, oh, what is that? vulgar plant, you know, you, you've got to get field, you've got to get true Greek oregano, right? So look for that. And that's, you know, once you find it, then a 10 foot monster in your yard is not big enough. Let me tell you, <laughs> not for right. me. I've harvested yeah. every bit of oregano and I keep spreading it out and putting it in new places. And just as an aside, it's antibiotic. And now oh, you're yes. starting to see oregano tinctures and oils on the market as we you know, transcend past our, our traditional antibiotics. Yeah. 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 Medicinal. There we go. All right. Yeah. So let's talk about starting seeds. So, cause I, I, Barbara wants to know about the secret to growing cilantro. Um, <laughs> and then I want to talk parsley because parsley, parsley can take up to 21 days to germinate, right? Oh, and so can rosemary and so can lavender. And so can if you get into the mints or if you buy an off the shelf packet of thyme. They just take a long time. And I used to at first that frustrated me, but what I've learned about the plants is that they're so resilient, they'll la they're perennial and they'll last for years if not decades. And so they're just a little slow starting. Just be a little patient with them. Let them do what they yep. want, you know. But once they get going, man, they're gonna they're gonna serve you for a long time. So, but yeah, there are a lot of and there are reputedly herbs that need light for the seeds mm. to shine mm -hmm. on the soil, and some that ah. need dark. And you can get into those subtleties. But you know what? I got everything I ever wanted to germinate without paying attention to that particular right. 
part of it. I think if you were in a greenhouse commercial and you were trying to force things, you know, in uniformity, then you would learn how to do that. But that just wasn't necessary for me, practically. Johanna says you have to cold treat them. Well, there are herbs that you have to cold treat. And what's that mean? Stick them in the freezer or something? So think about it. Those are plants that come from colder country, Mm. right? Where it gets cold and snowy in the wintertime. So think about what happened. You know, every year I lived in Idaho, the same thing would happen with variation. But what would happen is, and lots of times it started in August, we'd get a snowstorm. Mm-hmm. I was at six, it would snow, it'd get cold, and everybody's going, no, no, it's, no, no, not yet. And you'd go through this cold period, and then it would get nice again. And sometimes mm-hmm. for a month, we called it Indian summer. Mm-hmm. It was this beautiful time. Well, think about if you're a plant, and you're producing your seeds, and all of a sudden it gets cold and snowy, right? You don't have a calendar. You don't have, you know, you don't you don't have a, a window. You're not looking out going, oh, this is just a little snowstorm. You think it's winter. So what do you do? Indian summer comes, you've dropped your seeds on the ground and all those seeds sprout, all uh-huh. of them. And then winter, smack, they're all dead. So only the plants whose offspring figured out that, no, man, we better just lay here for a bunch of time with cold weather, maybe months before we germinate. Otherwise, we're going to get wiped out. And that's where that came from. And so there are a lot. So, you know, generally you have to see where the plant has its origin and then try to mimic that in your refrigerator. I used to put them in damp compost, my best compost, in a plastic bag. I'd throw the seeds in there with it, all right? And then I'd poke holes in the plastic bag with a pin, not enough to get all the compost over my fridge, but just enough to let some air in and then mm-hmm. throw it in the back of the fridge for the winter. If that's For what the winter. Well, that's what I would do because I was in an area where the plants were under snow all winter, you know? I mean, if you're in a close, you know, in the Verde Valley here, a couple of weeks might be enough. Right. For a plant that you get from around here. And so, you know, it doesn't hurt it usually to be cold for longer. And so that's what I would do. Freezing is not necessary. Usually the refrigerator can be cold enough. And mm-hmm. there's a whole science of that. You know, if you want to get into that, you can get your PhD. But generally, you know, again, ask around, try to find the people that have already done it. If you can't find people that have done it, try cuttings so you don't have to germinate the seeds or a little piece of root. There's lots of way around these problems. Mm-hmm. So Barbara's asking about secret to growing cilantro. Do you have any thoughts <laughs> I, on that? When you said that before, I laughed because I am the worst. I have no idea how to grow great and consistent cilantro. I've had good crops, but I'm very inconsistent. So you tell me, Greg, what, how do you do it? I have what is uh, called here at the Urban Farm an old growth food forest. And I let things go to seed. And when they come back up, they come back up. So actually last year, last season, I actually had cilantro growing in the middle of the lawn. Wow. Because you had so many seeds and they spilled over. and Yeah. Wow. So, and now we did plant some seeds of cilantro in some pots on the front porch this, this season. And we have cilantro plants that are, you know, a good five inches tall coming. I pretty much plant them and leave them alone. Make sure they get watered periodically. Make sure that they have healthy soil. So both Sue and Barbara are struggling with growing cilantro. 
here's one of the things you need to know about growing anything successfully. They need good, healthy soil. Healthy soil, there's five components. If you've listened to any of my podcasts, I've probably talked about this at least 100 times. There's five components of healthy soil. If you're growing in just dirt, which is broken down rock, good luck. In fact, I love the story that Kari Spencer tells about her first garden. She went in her backyard, dug up dirt out of out, and put it in pots and put it on the back patio and tried to grow things very unsuccessfully. So dirt is a component of healthy soil, but if that's all you have, good luck. So five components of healthy soil are dirt, airspace, water, organic matter, and everything that's alive in the soil. So if I was going to grow cilantro and really work it in the yard, I would probably make sure that there was at least a good 50-50 mix of 50% compost planting mix, cocoa peat, something like that, and dirt and mix it all together and plant it in that. Now, for the pots on our front porch that we have cilantro coming up in, basically what Heidi did, Heidi's my partner, is uh, she just added, she used straight Farmer Greg's planting mix. It's just a planting mix that's 50 40% compost, 40% composted pine bark, some cocoa peat, and perlite. And that's what we're growing in there. So, yeah. yeah. You know, I think part of the problem, at least for me, is that I I just haven't grown it and saved my own seeds and planted them and 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 adapted it to my yard and its particulars. And I think yeah. that's because the cilantro being sold, a lot of the commercial cilantro being sold, the seed is really narrow genetically. Mm. So so think about it. In our country, when did the word cilantro first be used? I mean, it wasn't very long ago. Nobody, cilantro? It was coriander. That's oh, It's yeah. the same plant, right? And so coriander, we grew for the seeds. So we were selecting and breeding this plant to go to seed and produce mm-hmm. robust, flavorful seeds. That's what, for my whole life, at least, and I'm sure the generation before mine, that's what people in the seed industry focused on. And then all of a sudden, here comes this new green that's really popular. You know, arugula has come about in that period of mm-hmm. time. We're eating more endive or frisee, you know, mm-hmm. uh, radicchio, all these foo-foo, you know, vegetables. And cilantro comes along and everybody, you know, really likes it. So now we're telling this plant, no, 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 don't go to seed. We want you to stay a leafy green plant longer in our garden so we can harvest you more. We're like we put the brakes on this maybe 100-year breeding project, and now we're going back the other way. And I don't think very many people have really started to or done that well, and there have been very many varieties. And so mm-hmm. I've resolved myself to getting as many different kinds from as many different places, the seed, and mixing them all together and planting that in my yard. And seeing the variation, because I'll bet a few of those do better. And that's going yeah. to be part of my path. You know, Carrie, Carrie said she's her cilantro is west-facing in containers. She okay. used foliar spray on them. All right. And the seed from the Great American Seed Up, so that seed from us, the yeah. coriander yeah. seed from us. Right. And Annette says, in Albuquerque, we get early spring crop. And my fall crop is not coming up, is just now coming up, does not like heat. That is the thing about cilantro coriander. It does not like the heat, like big time. It's, and it, you know, it just now there's a chill in the air here in Phoenix. I would say it's just now that it's going to start coming up. So if you're trying to grow it during, any of the, if, if you're in the low desert and trying to grow it in March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, good luck. 
So I think that might be a good. Yeah, patience is always could be always part of it. <laughs> yeah. You know, but what I can't do is grow those huge, big bundles of cilantro that I get in the store. Mm. Who does that? And how do they do? It's not like a super nitrogen. I don't know what they're doing. Some something's going on there. I've just never been yeah. able to duplicate that. Maybe it's a spacing too. Well, it could know. be. I get that yeah. growing here in the yard. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. And, but I can't and, touch it because I'm, you know, there, there's this uh, genetic thing with cilantro. Some people love it. Some people absolutely hate it. Hate it, I know. I am the, I'm kind of in the middle because I can't pick rosemary or cilantro because of the oils in it. They kind of oh. stick to me and it's like, ooh, get off me. But I can eat both of those in a dish. So Wow. Well, Kari would know. So if uh, that surprises me. Growing on the West Side, that's a good hint. Yeah, there you go. So and, I got a couple of questions here for you. All right. Johanna wants to grow lots of tarragon, but can only overwinter it indoors. But the flavor gets weaker over the years. Any suggestions? Well, tarragon's one of those where you have to start with a cutting of really great variety. Mm -hmm. I've never seen true tarragon seed. I mean, a really good tarragon come from seed. I've wow. only seen the seed a couple of times in my life, and I think mm -hmm. it was a scam, actually. And so it's really hard to find true French okay. tarragon. All right, they call it. And it may be natural that plants lose some of their strength and flavor in the winter indoors because those oils may be part of a process to harden the plant to the outside elements, the direct sun and all the stuff. And so they're becoming more leathery or whatever, you know. And I don't know. I'm I'm speculating here. But I I know for a fact that my like I bring in my lemon verbena and the leaves grow larger and more succulent, but I'm not sure they're stronger. Mm -hmm. I think I just don't think they're producing as much oil either. So, so I'm not sure I would worry about that. But if you're having trouble and don't like your tarragon, especially in the winter, look around, make that one of your hobbies. And it's far and few between when I find somebody who knows, first of all, what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. They go, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about, and I've got a great tarragon, or I know somebody who does. Sort of like this inner secret, but you got to ask; otherwise, yeah. people don't talk about it. Cool. So Peter's looking for some free seeds. We don't have any free seeds for you. You might check your area. I think Peter's in Florida. You might check your area and see if you have a seed library in your area. I'd also check Facebook to see if there's anybody on Facebook trading seeds in your area. Well, you can go to seed libraries dot net mm. okay mm -hmm. i'll put that on here and if you go to seedlibraries.net rebecca newburn's site comes up and there's mm. a, a link on there that says start your own seed library mm. so if you'll mm -hmm. pull down the menu from that at the very bottom there's a link that says sister seed libraries ah. and there up will come a list with links of 500 active seed libraries and and they're arranged by state so nice. you can go down and find the ones in florida and seed libraries that's what they do give you free seeds you check them out and if and when you can you check in twice as much so in a sense they're not free but they're giving you seats so it's that you can get started dollars. what's that it's not costing you dollars does not cost federal dollars no Oh, Jesse says, I started a seed library in Dixon, New Mexico. Good on you, Jesse. Yeah. So they have some seeds to trade. Sue says, my tarragon grows about five feet high and gets these little balls on the end. Are those seeds? 
I bought the plant and transplanted it about 20 plus years ago and it keeps coming up every year. Gotta love it. So when you say the ends, are you talking about the, there can be galls, you know, or little balls, right. you know, from mm -hmm. insects or whatever that form on some plants. Not usually tarragon though. Tarragon again is in that same family. It'll have like a flowering stalk. And she says I'm, a tip on the end. Yeah. I'm not sure I've ever seen seeds. Right. Just, to, just saying. Let's just look. Mine here. never got five feet tall. I struggled oh, here with mine nice. was, if mine was five inches tall, I was really happy. <laughs> I just don't think it like the heat where I am now. Right. I've grown it in the past. They're talking on gardening know-how. They're talking about sowing seeds, four to six seeds per pot. So I wonder, you know, look up tarragon seeds. Well, I know people sell the seeds. But what I was taught and what my, my own experience is that the best tarragon comes from cuttings. Mm -hmm. It could be, you know, I could be flowers on the end. Could be. So Raven Skater 69 says, any insights on OSHA root? From what I know, it's hard to grow under home cultivation. It's endangered. I use it sparingly in lung tinctures and Rosemary Gladster's male elixir. Good for you. Yeah, tough plant to grow in a domestic setting. And so I have a friend who cultivates OSHA and has been doing it for about 20 years. Really? And has been quite successful, but he does it in and around the streams where he found finds it naturally. So in other words, he's dividing roots and repopulating areas in the wild where it's growing anyway. And so in that way, he has been harvesting OSHA, but also propagating it and trying to keep, you know, actually leave more than he takes over a period mm -hmm. of time and claims that that's nice. what he's been able to do. And that's more like tending the wild, right? It's probably a smarter way than trying to think that we have to bring things in and, and domesticate all of them. So Jesse wants to know if you know Sean Stigstead. Mm -mm. No, it doesn't sound familiar to me either. Always um, interested in new herbalists. Paula says, what is OSHA? That was actually my question, because OSHA for me is this governmental agency to make sure that you keep your employees <laughs> safe. Well, let me, I don't want to. While you look it up, I will. Anne-Marie yeah. says, sounds like Taget's Lucinda Mexican Mint Marigold, which tastes like tarragon. No. OSHA is, I don't want to give people the wrong Latin name, and I'm, I'm just missing it, but it is a lovage almost it's osha root it's lagustacum there you go there you go yeah and lovingly called i learned this the hard way bear root it's used in native american ceremonies especially oh, sweat lodges a very powerful oh. medicinal and spiritual herb in the mountain west and mm -hmm. so that's why you know i'm not a fan of gathering it really in the wild but i you know i have i know i have a friend who does it and i actually you know source tincture osha tincture which is really good for your lungs and sort of the mm -hmm. sort of those winter cold sorts of ailments and so i always like to have some around apparently sean stigstead s-t-i-g-s-t-e-d grows OSHA from seed. Wow. Right? Well, I would, you know, there's a class for you. You should get him on your podcast. Right? That guy yeah. is rare. <laughs> the, you know, what he's doing, I have, you know, or how, I don't know. It's probably has to be cold stratified, you know, ha uh -huh. has to go through a cold period. And you have to have a really particular kind of medium to do it, but more power to you. Oh, it's an un umbilifery? Yeah. Yeah, it's it looks like. A, yeah, it looks like a little carrot. 
carrots. Fam family um, flower, a little white one. Grows in and around damp places, lots of times, almost in streams themselves. Well, if it's an umbelliferae, so it looks like carrots when it goes to seed, right? then it's probably hugely seed productive. It is in the carrot family, APACA. Mm -hmm. And this is, I'm pulling this off of strictly medicinal seeds. Okay. Oh, and cool. they're selling the seeds there. Yeah. And that was from, that was from who pitched that out to me. That was from Peggy. Thank you, Peggy. Well, and I, so, you know, reference if, uh, when a question came up or comes up for me like this, then I go to Richter's, you know, that catalog that I talked about, the herb people that have been and see if they're selling and make sure then it's the right species, right. you know, because I've, I just pulled up, there's Lucidum, there's Portora, Pot Terai, there's a bunch of different species of order being called OSHA. So, so, so you want to make sure that you get a medicinal one if that's what you're looking for. So. Right. So Peggy says bear medicine in perennials, perennial right. herb native to the Rocky Mountains, traditional right. usage, American Indian and TWM, whatever that is. Upper, the traditional usage is upper respiratory infections, right. cough, altitude sickness. Plant prefers full sun to part shade and is often found in association with aspen groves. There you go. Awesome, Peggy. Thank you so much for that. You know, this is why I love doing this stuff, because I get to learn. Well, we're all learning. You know, right. this is, we're all becoming, yeah, and that's how it always should be. Yeah. Yeah. All, all right. Well, thank you so much for your time this evening, Bill. Any final thoughts before we jump off? We've been on for 45 minutes, believe it or not. Well, yeah, I just want to relate something I learned early on about herbs. It's such a fascinating world. And there's so many. And once you start looking around in the native plants around you, mm -hmm. and this is everywhere, you mm -hmm. start realizing that there's plants that are really important and powerful. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of went down what I call the rabbit hole, trying to learn them all. And the first, you know, coming from a Western perspective, the first thing I tried to do was encyclopedize it all. What are all the medicinal plants? What are all their properties? What, how do you grow them? You know, all the stuff, try to get all the information down for all the medicinal plants around me. And after reading people like Michael Tierra and, and meeting some of my other teachers, I finally realized that in my day-to-day -day life, I was ever, only ever going to use maybe a half a dozen. I mean, right. how many are you going to act? I mean, I was getting respiratory. I love having mm -hmm. OSHA around, you know, I cut myself occasionally. So I like love to have Achillea around, which is mm -hmm. helps to stop blood from clotting, those sorts of things. But after I got really clear as to what I needed and then learned the herbal world through that, it got way more simple and made way more sense. And I could do a much better job with the plants that could actually help me. And I wasn't always feeling inadequate, like I need to make my encyclopedia bigger so I'll know more so that people will know I'm an herbalist, you know, kind yeah. of feeling. And it's like, just let go of all of that. Find out what you need in your life. Find out what plants locally could help you with that. Either you can grow in your yard or find in the wild and get to work learning and find a master. Find somebody who already knows it all. You can, you can one day with somebody who has already been through it can spend you years of trying to read and take classes and find stuff. So yeah. that's my closing thought. Have fun. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you everybody for showing up. We will be at it again. I don't think we have a seed chat in December, but we'll have one in January. And we have our garden chats coming up with Urban Farm U and the podcast, Urban Farm Podcast. 
If you are interested in Seed School Online, you can go to seedschoolonline.com and learn about that. What about, tell us, uh, just give me 15 seconds on Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance. RockyMountainSeeds.org. We're just a group of people working cool stuff. The day when all the seeds from for our region come from our region. And we've got I love it. classes and a lot to do with grains these days, ancient yeah. and heritage grains. So thank you. Hi, right, man. Take I'll care. Talk to you soon. Thank right. you. Thanks, Bye. everybody. Talk to you later. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.